Hello and welcome to Life of the School, episode 133. My name is Aaron Matthew, and I'm a biology teacher from Massachusetts. And on the Life of the School podcast, I like to sit down with a panel of life science teachers and talk about issues in our classroom. But this is our wrap-up 2021 episode. So as we say goodbye, I am being joined by the hosts of the Two Pint PLC podcast uh, to help me wrap up the year. So uh, we're going to introduce ourselves with our goofy question, and our goofy question for this episode is, what is one thing that you've learned about beer in this past school year? And uh, joining us, I assume you guys are both in Kansas, but uh, joining us from Kansas is Lawrence Woodruff. Welcome, Lawrence. Uh, hello. Uh, today I am drinking the uh, Our Special Ale the Christmas Ale from the Anchor Brewing Company, as recommended by Aaron Matthew here. <laughs> and what I learned about a beer this past year is that I think I'm getting a little older, and my favorite beer, Dragon's Milk Stout, is starting to get me heartburn. Ooh. And I, this is, it's growing, and now I have to start changing the way I look at beers <laughs> because it has this biological consequence that I didn't anticipate and did not budget right. for so yeah so now the question is what is it about it that's giving you the heartburn is it the is it the the acrid dark malts because if that's the case you're going to really be in trouble um <laughs> i know i'm really hoping it's some kind of acidity issue but if it's a malt yeah. issue that may be why um i've been uh maybe more positively enjoying some of the sweeter beers or milder beers because i don't have this uh consequential aversion all right well we'll come back and listen to your uh very i you, these are hosts of two pine plc so if there's one thing that we know about these two guys it is they know their beer um and they know they they know their descriptors about it <laughs> no, <laughs> no! <laughs> that is that is not true that's why you are a consultant for our podcast because we just see, look, there's a head on this one. Mm, it has alcohol. <laughs> All right. And we'll bring in our other uh, our other co-host, uh, also, I assume, from Kansas, uh, Michael Ralph. Welcome Can uh, welcome from Kansas, Michael. Hi. Thanks for, thanks for having me back. I'm excited to be here again. Um, jumping on to, I'm also drinking the uh, the Merry Christmas, Happy New Year ale that you recommended. It poured like my favorite beers. It's like like a motor oil coming out of, out of the bottle, which is just... It's one of my favorite uh, categories of beer, and so I'm really excited to be trying this uh, again at your recommendation. Uh, my learning, so over the last few months on our show, you've uh, you've had us drinking different wheat beers, and I definitely, like, unironically believed that wheat beer was Blue Moon, like that all wheat beers are only Blue Moon, or there's a we got a local Boulevard wheat around here, uh, and I am learning how wrong that was. Like that, there's a lot of depth and a lot of nuance that you can have between different wheat beers, and so uh, my schema has been growing dramatically around what the wheat category can be. All right, I just want to put a time note in that it took us less than four minutes for Michael to use the word schema in my podcast, which. Uh... <laughs> 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 yeah. 
All right. Well, ironically, uh, as their beer advisor, um, my my take home of what I learned about for beer this year, which uh, which has been interesting, is I've learned that non-alcoholic craft beer is is a thing. And in fact, uh, from having conversations with uh, distributors and people I know who in the who are in the industry, um, it is thought of as the largest growing segment of the beer market they a lot of people are making it sound like um like seltzer uh which was you know alcoholic seltzers which or hard seltzers which was a couple of years ago or the last two years um and so i'm actually drinking uh rescue clubs ipa which is their non-alcoholic ipa um it is made just down the road um in a a at zero gravities uh facility um so it's a local it's a local craft non-alcoholic beer for me uh but that is because i haven't run yet tonight and um uh, i was telling i was telling the gentleman that i you know i like my beer but i i never have a beer before i do my run and i have a a treadmill run scheduled for this evening um and so i will i will crack open a beer and i probably will have a holiday beer so uh before we get into the show notes i I gotta ask um i did i did pick this specific holiday beer in mind with you too in my first recommendation so i'm glad that you guys drinking it uh what, what are your thoughts I like the smell. Yeah. Uh, it's got that. Um, so you said that we know beer and that is just patently <laughs> false. Uh, like, like I revel in my ignorance of beer is really the way that I consume, consume these beverages every month. <laughs> but the, you know, the, the ales, it's not the first taste, but the second taste is got that like bitter. I don't want to say maybe it's a hop. I don't know. But the, the second taste in this palette is one that hits me as a little mm. harsh i bet that i get used to it as i drink the you know as i drink into this first glass uh, but that's what i really notice is like oh this is good it smells great first oh what is that oh there's something 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 harsh in there my my delicate <laughs> my delicate palate recoils a little bit uh yeah i was getting the sensation um that i was like uh chewing on pine mm-hmm. needles that's the kind of like experience that the second half of this flavor gives yeah. me and so it does actually have like an evocative christmas tree event but it it um and and i really do like the smell it kind of has that little spiced you know uh kind of everybody puts spice in their drink in mm-hmm. december and that's kind of what's going on here kind of like a but there's nothing sweet about it at all. And I kind of was hope. well, at least I'm not tasting it. And I was kind of hoping that there would be sweetness here. I'm like one of those eggnog <laughs> people. I want, I want all of the cinnamon in the drinks. And, um, yeah. uh, I'm feeling, I'm feeling the Christmas tree <laughs> without the Christmas okay. spirit. That's what I'm feeling. Well, it's what, it's funny. Cause this is a beer that changes year to year. Um, this is a beer that, that anchor has been putting out for years. And I, I actually have a couple of, um, uh, I think I have two years ago's beer and I might have one as old as five because I, I have a beer cellar where, or a cooler where I throw in old beers and I crack them open and sometimes do vertical tastings uh, like around the holidays or around when a new release comes out. And so I have some older versions and I will tell you this one has more roasted malt in it than any version I've ever, I've ever had. So I usually think of it as a, this ruby sweetness to it. Um, and it usually is a little sweeter. I do think this one's a little bit, a little bit more acrid, uh, roasty, um, than in past years. 
Um, but pine needles is absolutely the right right uh, note to me. That's what this is. So so yeah, you said it smells. I like the way it smells, and I was like, are we gonna get any more vocabulary in there? Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah, uh, it's funny because I, I I would say on uh, on on the twelfth of every month, I get to have this moment in the last minute of your podcast where I I I, I have to like pause and listen and shake my head just a little bit, and and I do almost every month. Uh, every although I'd say like once or twice a year, I go, oh, they kind of nailed that, and then once or twice a month i i'm so i'm so aggravated that i have to send a message like what are you guys talking about uh, and the wheat beer comment i don't remember what it was but it was like you're drinking an american wheat there are two this past year the you did you drank a different variety of dragon milk uh <laughs> yes dragon's milk white yeah you drink ago. dragon's milk white and your american wheat beer comments were the two ones where i was like what are you guys talking about? Have you like, do you know that Google's a thing? Have you typed in Google? <laughs> They're both choking their head. Uh, no. No. <laughs> but it's just. The... No. We do our homework on the education <laughs> research side, At, right? Like EBSCO host or yeah. die. That's it. Yeah. It's... <laughs> so this is an area of high growth potential for both of these gentlemen. Uh, they, they are, yeah. uh, they're learning. And, the, and you, you mentioned the last, the last minute of the show, but like, uh, I regret, we spend so much more time talking about your notes and the, <laughs> beer reactions that actually shows up on air and i regret like i want every month i want to like cut out the full discussion and send to you and i'm like don't give him homework like no don't don't send him 20 minutes of, no no don't do that but like i want you to know we put a lot of time and energy into digesting your notes and reacting to them uh so and then he cuts it worth. he cuts it down to no, 60 yeah. to 120 seconds so you know it yeah. it got to Get yeah, and when it's you. fully cut out, I get an apology email. Like, <laughs> like, like we didn't mention it all. But I will also say, I feel, for particularly over the last couple of years, um, in, as a part of this pandemic, um, I I often feel like you guys pick beers that the Northeast is a very weird place. Like a lot of places don't ship um, beers to the Northeast. It's such a um, it's such a dense market here already uh, that we just like. And I can go out and search, but there's a lot of times that they'll post their beer and I'll go, all right, let's, where's the closest I could get this? New York City. Great. I'm not doing a six hour round trip to get a beer right. <laughs> over a podcast. And we do not want you to do so, that. No way. I think one of the more recent ones that you had put in there, I was like, oh, I can get this in New Hampshire. But it was like, there was no place close to, it was like the middle of the state of New Hampshire. It was like a three and a half hour ride to get to like a uh, some store that had it. I was like, I don't even know why it would be there. Uh, it wasn't near the Massachusetts border or anything. So uh, I am not always able to contribute. So I'm I'm happy to I'm happy to contribute when I can and uh, give you a uh, uh, properly spirited grief. When... <laughs> yeah. Oh, and that's why your suggestions are so uh, important because I can do some legwork to get them, and we know that it's something that you have comments about. So we really do appreciate your suggestions. Um, I had to do a little bit of traveling to get this particular beer because they didn't have it on the Kansas side oh. of the border, but I was able to go to the Missouri side and hunt it down because there's some distribution. Yeah. As you are aware, there's some distribution boundaries. Uh, and so I was able to get this, and so I went on a little trip for it, and I'm glad that we can have it. So you keep those... <laughs> recommendations coming because we take them seriously yeah and we would never want to violate any laws by shipping uh them and then talking about that shipment uh on air uh about violating um no, shipping no. Laws. <laughs> of course not <laughs> no only legal things only legal things um <laughs> wow uh, i've learned so much already <laughs> like i didn't even consider that that would uh, be a complication yeah yeah it is it is 
It is illegal to uh, to ship definitely by U.S. Post Office. Um, and depending on your private carrier, um, I will tell you, I had a friend who wanted to send me some stuff as just like a, like, oh, Aaron likes beer and went and went to a FedEx store and they asked her what was in the thing. And she's like, oh, I'm sending a couple of bottles of beer to my friend out in Massachusetts. And they're like, yeah, you can't do that. Um, and so I got a text like, like I tried to do that. And I was like, and then the, the person behind the counter said, yeah, you have to tell her that it's like jellies. You have to tell me that it's jellies or jams. Like you can't, you can't tell me that it's beer. Yeah. Um so it was like it was like a nod nod wink wink thing, but it was it's very weird. The the rules around that are strange, but um, yeah. Uh, anyway, I digress. Yeah. So uh, as I said, this is my uh, my goodbye twenty twenty one. This is by far my uh, my most laid back relaxed episode, and they're all pretty laid back and relaxed. Uh, it certainly isn't a deep dive. Uh, I didn't make you guys do any homework, uh, read any journal articles, <laughs> anything like that. Um, and I also feel bad because I, the as I said, oftentimes I'm listening and I'm like listening where I'm out running errands or something like that. And there'll be something and I'll be like, oh, I should totally send them an email about the content. And I never do. I only comment about the beer discussions. Um, but I should I should comment. So if you're not a listener already to uh, Two Pint PLC, uh, you should definitely go to twopintplc.com. Uh, check out their shows. Subscribe. I will plug them at the end. But uh, definitely want to check out theirs because they do a deep dive on some really cool educational research uh, throughout the year. So, um, all right. That's enough nice things to say about you before i you. <laughs> give yeah. you but yeah yeah i think you. the the one that uh jumped out at me i can remember i remember driving and that was the, the i think the the point and i was actually driving like around boston i think i was going to or from some some sort of workshops so this is a while ago and you were talking about um ell students and you were talking about ell education and um and and it was just like so many thoughts i have about the way we just get this sort of piecemeal rules about ELL education. And like, it was just, it, there was not as much nuance, but you guys do, it's such a deeper dive on the journal articles and, and talk about the things you understand and don't understand and how it applies to classroom practice. And um, yeah, I definitely really appreciate those, uh, <laughs> those discussions because they, they do me, make me think, um, you know, and a lot of times uh, bring some richness to my own personal reflection. I guess that would be the best way I could say it. Uh, thank you. I think that's the best thing that we could get. Like, that's the best comment. <laughs> Their podcast made me think and reflect about my actions as a yeah. teacher. Goodness gracious. <laughs> that's like the best thing we could ever hope for. Thank you very much. That's super that's kind. awesome. All right. Well, let's move on to our actual goodbye of 2021. So this is actually a format I used last year and I thought it worked really well. So I, I want to come back to it. So, uh, you know, we're going to say goodbye to 2021. Um, I was with a group of teachers actually who I normally don't see, but on Friday I had a COVID safe gathering uh, with a group of people who um, who all vaccinated and a small group and we were consulting for a group um, and we got together and everyone was like, yeah, I so somehow am more tired than I expected I would be. Um, and so while 2021, I don't think it has been as hard as 2020, um, it certainly has not been easy. Um, at the same time, I'm an optimist and I want to think about some of like the, the wins that we've had this year and some things that we learned that were positive. So rather than just delve on the challenges of the last 12 months. So, so Michael, I'm gonna start with you. Uh, what is, you know, one good thing that, that came from you out of the last 12 months that, that you learned about? Yeah. So 2021, we were, I kind of think about it in my head, 2020, we, there was, there was, I feel like a little bit more um, consistency in moving to remote instruction, right? Like trying to be safe, be alone, be isolated. And that was really rough. And then in 21, it's really been a lot of conversations about how do we safely 
get back together mm -hmm. as people, right? How do we connect with other humans as we're going through the, um, you know, the second year of this pandemic? And one of the things that I noticed as, uh, you know, as I was going about supporting teachers, as I was going about working with students, as going about collaborating with colleagues, is there for as hard as emergency remote instruction was when we started. And it was, right? Because we had days of notice, right? Like, I hey, guess what? We're online now. Go. Uh, like, oh, gosh. Like, I, I know a little bit about being online, but I haven't spent a lot of time and energy getting that ready. Like, my lesson plan for next week is for in a room, and that's not the case anymore. Whereas when, you, when I got to spend a little more time being intentional about what does it look like to do online instruction well, and what is it like to work with mixed groups of students who are, some are online, some are in person, um, what does that look like to do well when I can like put some energy behind planning it to make it really productive? Uh, and I recognize that while it's definitely hard and there are things that you can only do as well as we can do them when we're in a shared space, physical space together, there is some value to digital instruction. Mm. There are some students who were more successful in the remote delivery format, who are more successful with the flexibility of being able to mix between in-person and remote. I'm one of them, but I know that I, I, there were many other folks who benefited even more than I did. And so really it helps me to grapple with and internalize that there are some opportunities in figuring out where uh, I'm saying mixed presence, right? Like a, a, a media, a, a synchronous meeting with students in a physical classroom and some students online. When and where do those formats and the costs that come with them, right? Like the equipment, the practice, the training. When does that make sense to expand access for more people to benefit from the things that we're doing? Because those settings exist. And so that's something that uh, I didn't spend a lot of time and energy in the early parts of my career thinking about, uh, but it's really like, that's become a really salient part of my work over the course of this past year is working on what does it look like to do accessible instruction and what role does online play in yeah. all that? Yeah. And I wonder, and I just, I was thinking about my colleague, Brian, just the other day, he was saying something about like, he feel like he learned like a whole bunch of skills in the last in the last year, you know, like, you know, like gun to his head, like, you know, against his will, perhaps that he didn't know how to do some of these things. But like when we were, we were sitting down to talk about doing something like the toolbox was just so much more full of, well, we could do this and we could do a paper version or, hey, you know, we could do a Jamboard for this. Which one would work? Like the, the like when we went and had discussions about the use of media and then how would it, what would be the implications of the type of media that we would use? Do we want to do a digital set of card sort? Do we, was a digital card sort better? Cause then the kids would have a file for themselves when they're not in the classroom. Whereas in the past we would have just done this physical card sort, but the cards lived in our classroom and they wouldn't be able to reflect, like they would maybe answer some questions, but it was just an experience they had in the class. And then they would leave and we had the cards cause they were in a box that we kept in the prep room. But we, we made a digital card sort last year so that they could do it. And then they just had it saved in their drive. And now they, they, they had that forever. It's like, which one's better? Uh, you know, for this activity, it doesn't matter. But for this activity, uh, it, this is really important because, because of where it fits in and how they're building their mental understanding and that sort of stuff. So I think that the intention, intentionality of why we would use something digitally versus why we wouldn't is a, a, an evolving conversation that now that we have a broader depth of skills may come about a little bit more. So yeah, I, I could definitely hear that and resonates with conversations I've been having. 
All right. Well, how about you, Lawrence? Uh, what What is a win for you? I, I'm I, I as Michael was talking. By the way, I was immediately thinking of um, maybe hostility is too strong a word, but uh, your feeling about digital technology is not does not always come across as 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 warm. And uh, in planning this episode, we were talking about how like. You two are kind of always at conflict, and I thought his answer was uh, right on point. So, 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 what what kind of buttons can you push for Michael with your with your answer for a win? Yeah, uh, well, that's uh, yes, you are right, and my um, my reduction of digital interfacing is a part of my mm-hmm. answer. I actually had three little prongs of yeah. this, or four little things. One, I think that I it's not that I learned necessarily a whole lot of new things about myself as a teacher, but a lot of what I suspected about myself was confirmed. (laughs) Uh, Before 2021, I thought I didn't want to be an AP biology teacher. (laughs) After 2021, I know I don't want to be an AP biology teacher. I've had that experience. I didn't like it. I know I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to judge it based on the, uh, the digital interfacing. I'm judging it based on the, the experience that I think that I should be crafting and giving them as an AP biology teacher, it's not something I want to do. I don't want to do it. So that's nice to know. Cross that off my list of goals. Um, I really, I thought that I would enjoy being an avid teacher at that. That's a program advancement via individual determination uh, to support students whose parent who want college degrees, but may not have a family culture who, who has have college degrees. I love teaching AVID. I thought I'd like it before 2021, and now I know that I like it, and I'm really enjoying that. Um, and then we get to, um, we get to, uh, yeah, I like being in a classroom with students. <laughs> and if this job became something else, I don't, wouldn't have the passion to work through all of the complications and emotional burdens of this job if it was a you teach digitally if i was i like last year was special we did some zoom stuff and you know who knows with pandemics we may have to do it again uh but if it becomes like this is your job then i'm gonna look for another one because i i i that's not gonna be normal i like i don't want that job and i'm not gonna do it i'm not gonna sign a contract that says this is your job uh so i'll buckle down during a pandemic but no i don't want to teach I don't want to be a Zoom teacher. Don't want to do it. I want to be in the classroom with those kids. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know I, that a whole lot of folks want to be a Zoom teacher. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there were people who who loved it. Um, uh, I'll be curious. I'd be curious if there were people who were there. And by the way, there are schools where you can do that. There are schools that that you, yeah. that have rural academies, but. Um, yeah, I don't know that a lot of people would vote for, <laughs> for for going to being a Zoom teacher and not being in the room with kids. Um, well, and so, some of it, uh, as a as just thinking along these lines, right, as somebody who's more of an apologist for, for digital teaching, they, I was talking to somebody else just earlier this past week, and it's complicated because teaching online with minimal prep mm-hmm. sucks. And teaching during a pandemic sucks. And so there are versions of online teaching that some people find really satisfying and those people also I'm sure suffered teaching during the pandemic. And so it's a, I I would be curious to say like, Lawrence, I know you well enough. No. Yeah. You, you want to be in a classroom. Like I, I want to be in a classroom. I'm a much better show live. I sure am. And so, uh, 
but there are some people who I think I hope that they don't equate to last year being hard because of the great many reasons it was hard with I can't teach online because some people can and some people would really enjoy it, even though last year was hard for lots of other reasons also. And I don't want to say that there isn't a space for digital instruction and, and remote instruction. And, you know, like if if there's a if there you know, there are complications in the logistics of having a class together and maybe remote is the only way that it can actually occur. Well, remote learning is better than no learning. Uh, and so spaces where doing that well, there is mm-hmm. a need. And I'm not denying that at all. I just don't want to be <laughs> yeah. the provider for that need. I just yeah. don't want no, to. And, yeah. and um, unlike some of your um, uh, comments about like digital instructions and something like that, this one very much sounded to me like a an I statement for you. Like like the place that you fit, the, the instructional environment for you is not on Zoom. But not that, uh, like, Zoom is the detriment to society or anything like that. It's just yeah, that that's right, that. Right. And, and I often think for for teachers. I mean, I, I taught at several schools before I got to the school where I have been for the last, you know, twenty two years. Um, and some of those schools were fine for me at the time in my life that I taught there. But I wouldn't be good there now. Some of them, I was a bad fit there from day one. Um, <laughs> I walked in the door and felt like an alien in that building. It was not a good fit. And that was an in-person instruction. And it just was the wrong environment for me to use my educational philosophy and my skill set with that group of colleagues. I I stuck out a little bit. And so uh, I think teaching fit is very much a thing. And instructors, um, I think a lot of, I, I wish there was an opportunity for for a little bit more feeling out in your career, it's kind of a little bit of luck um, how people figure that out. And in some ways, I wish more teachers got an opportunity to work in more different types of building and more types of instruction. Um, not that I want to make the beginning of a career any harder than it already is. But I do think that if, if teachers had the opportunity to practice their craft in different ways, especially early on in their career, there definitely would be a way that... that uh, that you would be able to see sort of the arc of your career a little bit differently. And I, as I said, I felt very fortunate in my first four, year, I, four years, I taught in three different buildings. And so when I came to the school I was in, I had a very clear picture of, I don't want to be in a building that's like this. I don't want to be this. I need this kind of support. I need those types of things. Um, I didn't think about Zoom because it didn't exist at the time. <laughs> but I would say that, you know, if, if push comes to sub and something in your life changes, you have this opportunity from this past year to say, these are the supports I want. And these are the type of instructional strategies I want. And it very much felt like an I statement kind of kind of way. Uh, so <laughs> not to put words in your mouth. <laughs> no, I, you you read it right. And then Mr. Ralph is making this comment about student teaching, and you were talking about you don't want to make uh, a teacher's career harder at the beginning. But um, we have talked on our show, and it's not it's not an idea only that we have. Like it's been proposed out there and discussed broadly that uh, in some circles that teacher preparation programs maybe should be mimicking. Uh, doctor preparation programs a little more where after you know you finish your classes you actually do rotations for several years uh in different departments uh seeing different kinds of um uh working with different kinds of students working with different kinds of teachers working different kinds of settings different kind of modalities different environments just to get that in the field survey experience and that's exactly what you're talking about and we're it we don't have it it's not part of our uh, teacher prep experience. 
Mr. Ralph, Mr. Ralph tells me maybe we do have it. Uh, that's exactly the you teach model just for, you know, here I am plugging, you know, the program that trained me in the program where I worked for a while. But uh, that yeah. that's that's what I got. I got to do that. I went to got to go teach at different grade levels in different subjects, in different buildings and under different uh, different practicing mentors. And that was a huge benefit was seeing different classroom cultures, different different management, you know, techniques, being able to for me to practice different entries into groups of students. And it was definitely a factor for, you know, when I finally got my first job, a job offer, I was walking into an, an interview with with Paula Donham, the chair of that department, and she knew things about me. She knew what I was passionate about. She knew what I was doing and I knew things that I wanted to be doing. And so we like, we knew from the beginning, there was a common language to get back to that. Like, is this somebody whose personal driving philosophy of education is in alignment with what our department and with what our building does? Cause that I agree, you know, fit can be complicated, right? Fit can be a mechanism to push people out who don't want to conform. But at the same time, it's a way to say, this is what we're about and this is what's important to us. And if we're all going to rally around that and find ways to pursue it through the lens of what brings us to teaching, that's essential. Cause if we don't have that rallying point, then we're just a bunch of different classrooms in a building. And that's, that is that is a really tough way to go about a career. And so um, in that regard, I think that's an important piece and being able to have that experience that I did all of this in my undergrad. Like that's what the UTeach program does is in the undergrad, you go out to different places. And so being able to then walk into an interview or to talk to you know potential hires who know that about your experience is, I think, really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, and you know, it was, it's a well, uh, I, I know that there are other programs out there. Um, I know that a teacher who taught in Colorado who had a very similar, similar experience um, in there. Uh, the truth is, is though, I, I would, I would venture to say that uh, a, we're not training enough teachers and B, there are enough programs designed that way. So, um, so both of those things are yeah, they closed I, my program. I, so had, you know, a, that, had a really so. sarcastic answer, to, such as like, and that model was so successful that it was closed down by your university. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. but I mean, I agree with you. That's all I have to say about yeah. that. Yeah. So, I, yeah, they don't let they don't let experienced teachers design enough teacher uh, development programs. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, but we'll get to that. All right. Well, we you were making it negative, and I'm doing a positive, and I haven't told mine. Uh, <laughs> which I didn't type into the shared note. So you guys don't know this, but I was thinking about this, that um, it's funny. Every couple of years, I have a, a moment where I I have a sort of a, we all have a story about how we describe ourselves. And so if you had asked me 10 years ago, I would have said, uh, I am a very student centered teacher, that my practice is very student centered. And then if you asked me five years ago, what my practice was like 10 years ago, I would have said, oh, 10 years ago or five years before I was a very front of the room lecture. You know, I was not student centered at all. But five years ago, I made all of these changes and became a student centered teacher. And now when I look back, I said, yeah, I started my journey to becoming a student centered teacher, but I have taken some enormous steps in the past couple of years, particularly in the last year, about asking students what questions they have and not about what questions they have with regard to my curriculum document, but what questions they have about these broader topics and then engaging in deeper conversations about them. And so where I think student voice has always been something that I've looked for in my classroom and something that over the last, say, five years has gotten much stronger. Like if you were to walk in my room and listen to and actually do the documentation, whose voices are being heard the most? My voice is not the dominant voice in that room. I mean, it's a dominant one. If I say something, everybody's quiet. But I do not say more words than the other 
people in that room during an, an educational activity. I start it out, I get them going, I check in with groups, but they're having their conversations, they're working through their materials, and I'm helping them synthesize them at the end. But I am making sure that they are speaking and writing and talking. But I wasn't asking them there to ask to tell me what they were curious about, <clears throat> or I wasn't doing it enough. And so uh, the use of driving question boards and then coming back to those questions, it's not a performative activity where I have them write down their questions and I take them and I put them in a stack and I never see them again. Like on Friday, I had my students evaluating the questions that they wrote at the beginning and say, these are the questions you had. I've sorted them. You talk about them in groups. Tell me, yes, you can answer this or no, you can't. And if you can't answer it, give me an answer. And they were able to answer. I pulled 13 questions from the beginning of the unit just on circulatory and excretory as it related to transport. And they were able to answer 11 of those 13 and put answers up. And, and then a couple of questions where they were like, ah, we're more iffy on those. And so we had robust discussions about those. And the, that entire activity was driven 100% by the students' questions, not my questions. And, and listening to what students have to say is uh, some, an area that, I again, if you asked me two years ago, I would have said, oh, sure, I could grow there. But I, I don't think I realized how, how much growth I needed and how challenging it was to make space for that practice and and I think that that's been a it's been a real win. It's something that I think has strengthened um, my students' ability to see how they are biologists and how their biological questions are relevant. Um, and it's it's been it's been interesting. Um, and as I said, I'm not done, but I feel I feel strongly uh, that it is probably the best thing that I have added to my classroom in the last year. So I love that story. <laughs> I love that story so much. Uh, I love that story because uh, I bet 10 years ago, you probably were a fairly student-centered teacher. And then five years ago, you were a much more student-centered teacher. And now you're an even further student-centered teacher. And that just goes that like, if you have your priorities and you know what they are and that you know what's important to you and you keep reflecting and you keep pushing yourself, you, in this profession, you will get better and you, it will you'll get these periods that are transformative that that you know you are helping promote the cognitive development of these young people because of the journey that you went on to become the person who can do that better and it's so satisfying mm. um now my question to you was what did did somebody uh did, did somebody in your department or maybe a department head or an ad administrator or a principal or a <laughs> district a, a uh, representative <laughs> come to you and say, um, you know what, you need to do better about having kids ask questions and then spend time answering them? Was that externally directed or did that come from inside you? What I will say is that it's a combination of one, uh, not to plug my own podcast, but one, it's this podcast um, that I have had several teachers on both in panels and I've interviewed in, you know, individually, and I talk about their practice, and I ask them about them their, what they're doing. Um, a lot of the people who've worked with Jason Crean, uh, Crean, and the, the storylining work that they do out of the Illinois Storylining Group, um, you know, whether that's Britt Japerna and all the conversations I've had with Britt over the years, um, or Jason himself, or or uh, Kathy Van Hook, or that whole group, and seeing examples of the practice that people who use that 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 work and how they do that, and then actually we have a new colleague who added into our department this past year. And I literally went into her room and I said, this thing on the wall, 
tell me how you did this and what this is. And that was actually the, that was the, that was the, that was the lowering of the activation energy that I needed to, to get the ball rolling on that. So it was a combination of some of the things that I've added to my practice. I've, I've done driving practice, you know, driving question boards and some other things, but the actual experience that I described is become an iterative conversation that I have with a new colleague. Um, both because what she's doing awesome is awesome and it's different. Um, and as, as I described, she's not she's not baked in the culture of our building. She has a whole different set of toolbox. Um, and I have actively sought to hear her voice and hear how she views our curriculum and ask, like, because we have a culture of you come in and this is what you do in our building. These are our learning objectives for this level subject. And the, we, you know, you have freedom to how you get from A to B, but... Um, but it's very much a like this is our department's biology curriculum. These are our eight units. These are our state standards. Um, but I've been really working to engage her in having a voice in how we get from A to B and hearing how she thinks we should get from A to B and not putting upon her how I would have done it two years ago or three years ago. Um, and so it's been it's very much been um, trying to be open and listening to what other good educators are doing um, and then reflecting on what what would that look like in my classroom? How would that look for, how would that look in my classroom? And how, if I did this in my classroom, how would this engage in a different way than what I've been doing? Um, and not try to do it with too much value judgment, but just like, what, what do I do and how do I get to outcomes and, and how might it look differently if I did other things? And also like, what's the suite of tools? Like I have a lot of ways of doing certain things very well, but there's gaps, there's holes, there's kids who are, they leave my class at the end of the year and they're not excited about science or biology. And that's not going to, I'm not going to excite every kid about biology and science, but I could probably excite a couple more. And if I figure out different ways, then if they if they can see themselves as biological beings <laughs> that live in the world, I, I want that to be a part of it. And I know that there are students who, at the end of the year, they they still, in spite of all of my work, think of science as a, a a noun. It's a book of facts that they had to learn and memorize and pass tests on. Even though I've been really working hard to do that, otherwise, uh, I still know that there are kids who leave my classroom because that was baked in before they walked in, and I couldn't overcome that. And so I look for opportunities to try to raise their voice up so they can see that. Their, their ideas and their thoughts have merit and they are adding to the discourse. And so when I saw those things, it's a it's a, an area of weakness for me. And I, I try to bring those things into my classroom. So um. for my piece, I, w- I want to foreground two things that I love that story. Also, <laughs> I love so many things about your about your story. Uh, what what, what do I suddenly feel like I'm being interviewed on your podcast and not the other way around? <laughs> <laughs> So what I want to pull out is, so so this is a life science podcast, right? Life science teaching. We're talking about teaching biology. The three of us are all biology teachers. And so there's something, there's an element of like your podcast is focused on biology teaching. What you're describing is talking to biology educators. And so, you know, you acknowledge, you know, the, the dominance of your voice, right? Like know your students, know yourself, know the like classroom pedagogical uh pedagogically relevant interactions that you're having and there's a lot of like social science and education type practice in there but it's not the only thing we teach a discipline and so the other half of that is you got to know a lot of biology right i'm going to use that schema word again like if you're going to if you're going to support students in pursuing their own curiosity then 
you've got to have a schema that's big enough to accommodate all the different directions they might go. And that's not to say that you have to be all things to all people. But like when I first started my career as a biology teacher, like if you said something about bench biology, like, hey, bacteria are cool. And I'm like, yeah, let's do some bacteria stuff. And they're like, hey, I want to go outside and learn about nature. And I'm like, cool, I think there's bugs out there. I don't know. You know, like I that was something that I didn't have a lot of expertise in. And so it can be a little bit uh, challenging to try to support student inquiry in areas where you're still growing as a biologist, right? Like they're like, I want to ask questions about nature. I'm like, cool, we're learning together. Cause I don't like, I can't, I can't just say go and hope that, you know, students are going to be fine just out there on their own unsupported. And so it's that conversation of, you know, I, you know, the Kansas Association of Biology Teachers is full of naturalists. And so they can teach me that, yeah, there are bugs out there. There's also plants and there's also, you know, there's also mushrooms. There's, like, there's lots, of, lots of other organisms out there. And I don't know a lot, but I know a lot more. And I know people who can support students who have questions in that way. So when a student finally comes to me from my biotechnology program, and he says, you know what, I'm interested in mycology. And I'm like, cool, let's get you plugged into the mycology society here in Kansas. Here, let's get you some contact information. Let's go learn from them. And like, I can't do that by myself. But there's this there's this um, give and take of the disciplinary expertise that's relevant to biology and the educational practice that's generally applicable in a lot of ways. But you got to be able to do both. You got to be able to think about both of them to do good biology instruction that is student centered in the ways that you're talking about it. And ladies and gentlemen, you know, lasers and gentle <laughs> beings, all listeners, however you identify, this is something that takes a lifetime of mm -hmm. growth. And so being able to ask questions on both sides of that coin, I think, is important. And I love that you represented both of them in your comments. Well, I it's it's funny. You hit two of my three pillars. I always say that to be a, to be um, I, I don't like saying great teacher, but to be a great teacher, for lack of a better term, um, you have to love three things. You have to love your content. You have to love the practice and you got to love the kids. If, if, yeah. if you don't enjoy all three of those things, there are going to be aspects of your career that are going to needle you and bother you forever. And by the way, if you don't love the kids, but it's just because you don't love juniors and seniors, but you really enjoy freshmen, that doesn't mean that you can't be a great teacher. You know, you just have to do that. And it's not that like, and I, I love, I mean, I, there's so much about science that I love. There are things that I'm much better at doing <laughs> than other things. And there are areas I need to grow and I'm never going to figure out. Um, I, my wife will have always forgotten more immunology than I will ever learn because she is an immunologist. And that is just, that is the reality it is. But I don't need to know the immunology level to work in immunology lab. I just need to know, you know, enough. And just as you said that, but I, I do think that the kids component is, um, it's funny. I have a natural uh, connection with teenagers. I get along really well with teenagers, but that does not mean that I know how to educate them and bring their voice out as well. Like being in a room with teenagers and getting along with them is the thing that came easily, but that's not all teenagers and I can't bring them all out. And I think that that's been sort of the, the nagging growing thing that I've, that's gone throughout my career that just being good in a room with teenagers, it's not a show. It's not just me being on stage and entertaining teenagers. It's bringing out their voice and bringing them into the access of what we're doing. And I do think that I love I love, teenagers are so funny and they're just, they're just the best. I just, I genuinely enjoy, I do not want to spend my day with adults. I know that about me. I give me a group of 14 to 18 year olds to spend my day with. And I am going to be a much happier person, um, all day long. I, I forgive their faults. I forgive their mistakes. 
They're just human beings that, of a age group that I connect with and I, I appreciate. But that does not just because I appreciate them and I enjoy them does not mean that I'm necessarily serving their needs as best I can. And that's that piece that I keep I keep kind of coming back to is like, yeah, no, I could, do. I am I being you know, do I have enough grace with them? Am I am I ever short with them? Of, of course, I'm short with them. I'm a human being. I make mistakes. But how do I bake into my practice enough? space for that kid who's uncomfortable to grow and find that space and so yeah i don't have to be convinced that i love education or biology <laughs> those things are given but <laughs> but the teenagers are are awesome but they're also complicated um and uh and and that's a, a key piece and and so we're kind of circling back to to pick on lawrence um i wonder about um and i i have an answer as to how he could uh, come back at me but i think about students who could grow who who aren't able to access you know um uh college level material or struggle and and how you know taking an ap course that wasn't a you know, canned course, one where their voice was powered, one where they were engaged in science and they can see themselves as a, a, a scientist and have that, you know, endorsement that helps open doors for them. Um, not to say the college board doesn't have its faults, <laughs> which is the way you could end this argument. But I could see a lot of your passions with that group of students, helping students open and access that door without selling out, uh, <laughs> without selling out too much, uh, because I can see a value in there. So I'm curious how that, how that current definition of your desire to teach AP uh, could grow, um, if you could frame it in a way that is uh, consistent enough with your values. Well, I I am currently teaching a community college biology level to two juniors and seniors mm -hmm. in high school. So I am teaching collegiate level biology to uh, high school students. And also uh, I know we, when Mr. Ralph was at our school, he had what he, what was coined the biotechnology program, but it honestly, it was, um, it was honestly independent biological investigations. That's mm -hmm. what it was. And the kids themselves identified major questions that they had and goals that they had. And he facilitated their independent um, investigations toward the, the development of some goal or some project. And then he had outside experts come in and give them feedback on the kids' presentation as they developed their ideas. And so that was, that was authentic mm -hmm collegiate level process that is how it is we have a question what are the investigations we're going to do well how are we going to measure it how will we know that we have uh, uh grown and what do other experts in the field think about our process it was the it was absolutely authentic collegiate level science happening in a high school but it had nothing to do with <laughs> ap so i i don't think that it is impossible to give students these experiences that you're talking about that are valuable. I was rather specific yeah. that I don't want to be an AP <laughs> teacher. And I, I, yeah, that that's now the question then is how do we help teachers achieve that vision for themselves? Mm -hmm. And if they need scaffolding, maybe there can be scaffolding in AP programs, mm -hmm. you know, I don't <laughs> want to be an AP teacher. Yeah. There may be individuals where that's a better fit. Well, and the other side of that coin is we're all saying collegiate biology with a, 
an internal vision of what that means. And yeah. I don't know how much we agree or disagree, but I am quite confident that if you were going to go across a variety of different colleges and ask them what introductory college biology can, should, or must look like, you'll get mm-hmm. lots of different answers. And so there's also the question of like how much of that independently directed, or like I'm thinking about your college biology course, Mr. Woodruff, like the the intense interconnectivity of knowledge so that it's all available and relevant and connected and um, applicable and flexible and durable and all of those things. And that's not to say there aren't some folks achieving that at the collegiate level, but I would be prepared to say it's not the norm. And so like, if we were to do a, like a quick look at like, what's it look like across all of college biology, it looks lots of different ways. Yeah. And so when we say, what is college biology? Like that's a really complicated question yeah. too. Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, I think we've uh, we've we've uh, talked enough. Uh, way too much education here for our wrap up of, <laughs> of the podcast. Uh, but I have uh, I have brought you here uh, mostly, I think, to torture Lawrence, uh, not to, not to, to be too directed. But I will tell you, as I was putting this together, um, I uh, I have a tradition of uh, one of my favorite uh, games. I like to ask students. Um, one of my favorite games is a game I call Taylor Swift or the World Wide Web. And so what I will do is I will pick events that take place in some sort of process in biology, and I ask them, which came first? And they have to tell me and identify the thing that came first. And, and this is, I call it Taylor Swift for the World Wide Web, because I stole this game from a, uh, a podcast that used, called it... Uh, uh, Brad Pitt or lasers um, that, that was theirs. And I was like, well, I teach high school students. They don't care about Brad Pitt, but who do they care about? They care about uh, Taylor Swift. So I changed this game. I'm going to have to rename this soon to like Billie Eilish and I don't know something. Um, but 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 it, Taylor's still relevant. Uh, so I've got to call Taylor Swift the real one about So I am going to read two events um, and you two are going to decide uh, which of these two events in 2021 occurred first. Okay, and we will alternate oh, wow. between the two of you. Some of these are easy, some of these are hard, and many of these I would have gotten wrong because time is a flat circle, and the last two years have been chaos. And I have not—I was like, that happened during that month. Oh, there. Um, and as I was putting this together, uh, thinking back to your conversations on your podcast um, and uh, your overall uh, connection to pop culture, uh, some of these are going to be uh, interesting. Um, cause, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, so I did take this from a, a broad pop culture lens. Some of these might be right in your wheelhouse. Others may not be. All right. So who am I starting with first? I, I will, I'll start with, uh, Mr. Ralph. So Michael, you're going to get the question first. Uh, and then Lawrence, you, you get to, to decide if you want to agree or go the other way and then we'll alternate back and forth at, Oh yeah, I like to agree or disagree. So that's a, that's as much as we, fun as anything yeah. is. I should I just write disagree on the second column all the way down. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the first two events, which came first, the Friends reunion, or Italy beating England on penalties in the UEFA European Championships. Gosh. Okay. So um, my recollection is uh, the fir- the Friends reunion is not fresh in my memory so i believe it was early in 2021 and i don't i don't know anything about places <laughs> or football so that 
I, I'm just placing as a median event like that. That was probably in on June 15th because I don't know anything else about it. So I'm just that was it. So I think that the Friends reunion is pretty early, probably before June 15th. So I'm choosing Friends reunion. I didn't even know what sport we were talking about until he said football. So I'm just going to agree based on the ignorance of. of All right. Well, you are both correct. Uh, The Friends reunion took place on May 27th. Uh, and then Italy defeated uh, England on penalties on July 11th. Um, so within a month, yeah, I love yeah. it. Some of these are real tight. Some of these are real, some of these are real tight. Some of them are not. This one's actually <laughs> a month and a half apart. But uh, yeah, so you guys both get a get a point on number one. All right, um, uh, number two, and we will go. <laughs> Lawrence, with you on this one, uh, which happened first? Uh, Tampa Bay defeats Kansas City 31 to 9 in Super Bowl 55, or Olivia Rodrigo releases Sour? So, I, th- for some reason, I always I believe that the football thing, the big football thing, is in in the winter, January or February. And so I have no idea (laughs) about pop music Uh at all, but January and February are Uh early. So I'm going to go with football happened before music. (laughs) Football happened before music, maybe the quote of the episode. But all right, uh, Michael, where are we going? So for my bit, I know what both of those are. I know about the Super Bowl. I watched the Super Bowl, and you're right. It's early in the year. Uh, and Sour is the first song, I believe, that Taylor Swift allowed her music to be sampled. Uh, and so it was, a, it, was a, it was a big old deal. Uh, but I don't have any earthly idea when it happened. I just know what it is. So you're going to agree? agree? Uh, it is, you are both correct again. Two for two. All right. Unbelievable. Yeah, so uh, you are absolutely like you, your sports knowledge is rivaling your beer knowledge. Uh, that in fact, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, cheers. <laughs> yeah, that is correct. The, the Super Bowl was on February seventh, uh, and uh, Sour, the album Sour. I maybe should have clarified the album Sour was actually released on May twenty first. Um, but uh, Olivia Rodrigo had released songs before that, so I sh- I probably should have specified that I meant the album uh, as opposed to the song. Uh, I do think the song, I didn't actually look up the song, so you might not have been right, but in my rubric, uh, you <laughs> you matched my rubric. Well, I, I only know her name from that news story, uh, okay. so. Yeah. I actually have heard of uh, Olivia mm-hmm. Rodrigo because I watched the, this is like one of the few uh, digital media things that I consume. I like spicy food, so I like the Hot oh, yeah. Ones interview show. And there was one episode with Olivia Rodrigo, and I knew that she sang, and she she's she can eat really spicy food. Yeah. Also, I also know. I that mean, about she's her. no she both her and Lord fit in the same category, but she's no Lord. I can say that you know, uh, Lord is the Australian similar demographic. She was the Lord of Hot Wings. She came on and just crushed those guys on that 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 Hot Ones. Uh, see, you can know both biology and pop culture, but I will leave those side comments. Uh, <laughs> Right there. All right. Uh, Michael, we are back to you. All right. Uh, Britney, Britney Spears is freed from her conservatorship uh, after a judge rules in favor of terminating the contract or Stephen Sondheim passes away at age 91. 
Oh, that's a good one. Uh, I cannot plead ignorance because I know both of those things. Uh, so um, Britney Spears was um, subject to uh, what, what was it? What do you say? Like 13 year conservatorship? Yeah. Uh, just horrifying, horrifying misogynistic oppression. Uh, ridiculous, ridiculous and terrible thing. And I'm sorry that she suffered as much as she did under that. Uh, and finally uh, was able to get legal representation and um, that uh, conservatorship um, dissolved. Uh, and that's fairly recent. That didn't happen that long ago relative to this taping. Um, and Sondheim, what Stephen was his Sondheim. first name? Stephen Sondheim, who um, a, a remarkable, remarkable portfolio of stage music over the course of a lengthy career, um, died like really recently, like, like a week <laughs> ago, like really, really recently. So um, even though Free Britney is pretty current, I believe um, the songwright Sondheim's death uh, was even more recent. So I don't remember the format of the question, Which happens but first. Um, Free Britney okay. was first. Free Britney All was right. first. I agree. Uh, I agree. All right. This one is one of my closer ones. Uh, Britney Spears was freed on November 13th. Um, as she's been in the news for months and months. And Stephen Sondheim, Sondheim passed away on November 26th. So you are right. Two weeks separated those events. But yes, the currency, I think, helped you out on that one. You did have them back. It seems like you actually remember stuff from the year. Uh, let's get a little, little bit more. Um, let's get a little bit more uh, uh, guessy on this one. All right. Number four, uh, Lawrence, this one's to you. The Ever Given, one of the largest container ships in the world, ran aground in the Suez Canal. You remember that story. Yeah, okay. I remember the Suez Canal was yep. clogged so up. Yeah. Which happened first? Did that happen first? Or vaccinations worldwide exceeded 1 billion? <laughs> well, oh man. So this is, okay, I don't yeah, know. Okay. So I don't know. And uh, I listen to like NPR radio shows and those contests. And when I don't know, um, I resolve to answer the question in a manner that I wish were true. <laughs> like the better world, the better world is that more of us got vaccinated sooner. That's the better world. And so I okay. don't know. I don't know the answer to this. And um, there's a shadow of pessimism in my heart that says that vaccinations hit 1 billion after this clogging. And But I'm not going to go in that direction. I'm going to choose the optimistic answer. I'm going to choose to believe in the positive, And I'm going to say we hit 1 billion vaccinations before the Suez Canal got clogged up. That is my – I'm going there because I'm choosing All optimism. Right. I don't know if, if Michael's laughing because that you chose optimism or he's laughing at your answer. Uh, I'm just all of the things. This is a good microcosm of Lawrence in my relationship because he's like, I choose optimism and I have not. I have just I have just jet black coal in my heart. Uh, and so, like, if you had asked me, are there one people vac one billion people vaccinated today? I just said, probably not. Uh, so uh, so. Uh, I'm deeply skeptical. I'm deeply skeptical that um, that we hit one billion vaccinations before that canal clog. It was a long time. It was a while ago, right? It was probably the first half of the year. So I uh, I disagree, both because my <laughs> role is to be the pessimistic side of the coin, and just generally, I disagree. All right. Well, the Suez Canal was clogged 
on March 23rd. So to go back in March 23rd and was actually freed on March 29th. I, I thought it was longer than that. I did. I thought it was longer than six days, but yeah, yeah, it was, it was only six days. Uh, and, uh, and to, to not make it sound too negative, uh, 1 billion individuals were vaccinated on April 24th. So, so a month so later. one month later, yeah, one month and a day later, 31 days later. So uh, it was only one month. Now, uh, if you want to be negative, because I know that Michael is reveling in his uh, now perfect score, uh, but also uh, it was on April 24th. Uh, that's way long ago. We're way, way above that. Uh, but half of half of them. Yeah. I love being wrong about that. Yeah. Go get vaccinated. I've got two. I can't wait for my third. Like, let's all get vaccinated. Uh, Science is amazing. I've got my third. And I also want to say that March 23rd was the day of my first dose. Yeah. uh, So I got my first dose of the day. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was a little earlier than that. Um, Yeah. I think I was, I was March 11th was my first dose. (laughs) Um, But uh, I, the downside of that is half of those 1 billion were in the United States, China, and India. So three countries uh, took out half of those doses and uh, we're not all safe until everybody's safe as they like to say on this week in virology. So, um, Still have a big, big, big role to go on there. All right. Uh, who am I up to? Am I back to Michael first? Yes, Michael first. Uh, yeah. Squid Game is released on U.S. Netflix or Andrew Cuomo announces his resignation as New York governor. Mm. Oh, you've got me. You have me on that one. Uh, I watched Squid Game. Not right away. I resisted. I resisted watching Squid Game for a while because I take a heavy, I pay a heavy emotional <laughs> price to watch horror, uh, horror fiction. It just really takes a toll on me. But it was such so sensational that I started it and then I couldn't stop it. And so I like I just I cannonballed it in, in a couple of days and definitely paid a price. I was like, I was <laughs> suffering. I was suffering as I watched that show. It's a great show. I'm so it's a great show. They made wonderful art and it evokes some strong emotions in me. Uh, and then the resignation happened and I, they feel the same distance away. They might've happened on the same day. So like I'm basically flipping a coin in my head. Um, and so I guess to go back to our previous conversations, if my default is going to be pessimism, then I'm going to say squid game first. Uh, and you know what? That's funny. Cause I was, I was, I was literally saying, I don't know, but I think personal responsibility owning up to mistakes that you've made and then freeing the space for other people to, to take the reins when, you know, you acknowledge that you can't have that responsibility anymore. Uh, I would like people to do that sooner rather than later. Uh, and so I'm, I'm going to say uh, Cuomo first. And uh, we have a tie game once again, because Andrew Cuomo announced his resignation on uh, August 10th. And Squid Game actually premiered on September 17th in the U.S., which is amazing because that became just such a cultural everywhere. Um, and I have not yet watched it um, as, of the, as, as of this time of the recording. I'm not shocked, Lawrence, that you haven't watched it. Um, <laughs> but I actually put it in the same bucket as Tiger King. I have this like... I have this sort of punk rock feel that when like everybody's doing something, I really just don't want to do it. And I, to this day have still not watched Tiger King, uh, which I think everybody and their brother watched during the beginning of the pandemic. And I just was like, eh. and squid game, by the way, I hate to put them in the same boat, much better art, much more interesting, much more culturally relevant ties to things that I like. I like uh, Korean horror. I like parasite. Um, I like that other monster movie that he made before parasite, which was really, really good. Um, the one that was right on the water there. I forget what that monster was, but I remember like, I, I don't hate those. I don't pay an emotional price, but, uh, yeah, I just, 
I didn't dive in. Um, <laughs> but probably well over like one of the breaks this year. <laughs> Yeah, I probably eventually will watch Squid Game, but I I don't think I can watch it during a school year because I got I need to I need my headspace <laughs> for my kids. So in the summer, when when I'm starving for uh, any kind of emotional <laughs> stimuli, I will just dive in and feel okay. terrible. But I, I it needs to be. It can't compete. I can't have it competing with my emotional space. Yeah. I, I almost watched it in in uh, lead up to Halloween because I tend to I tend to watch most of my horror stuff in in October in leading up to that. <laughs> All right, well we're up to Lawrence number six. Uh, which happened first? Joe Biden is inaugurated as the forty sixth president of the United States, or One Division premieres on Disney Plus. Oh man. Uh, I don't know when WandaVision appears on Disney Plus. Um, I don't have Disney Plus. Uh, and I do know that, um, you know, uh, that uh, that inauguration is, you know, mid, mid-January, which is pretty early in the year. Now, I did the statistical play <laughs> earlier with football. Well, that's early in the year. It doesn't get much earlier, but I feel like this might be a trick question. I feel like this might be a twerk question, but I, I'm not to talk myself out of it because the world is better without trick questions. So I'm going to assume it's not a trick question and just go with the statistical play. Biden got inaugurated, inaugurated first. I'm done. I'm going with Biden. It's interesting. So I watched WandaVision. Uh, we actually, I think that was around time we picked up Disney Plus to watch it, as I recall. Uh, and it was great. It was great. It was great work. The for all sorts of reasons. Um, I do think it's a trick question. I had the same thought. I was like, you know, he knows that we know the inauguration was early on in the year, and so uh, uh, and above all, I abhor ties. Somebody has to win, Mister Woodruff. So I disagree just for resolution. So, so just to be clear, this is a game they had no idea was coming. Yet somehow we are now no. six questions in and I have been tricking them. This is like dealing with teenagers that this is somehow a trick question <laughs> because I knew that they it's, would know when the president was inaugurated and not. It's not a trick question. I don't believe okay. it's a trick question. <laughs> so it turns out that the, 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 that Michael is correct. One division did premiere on Disney plus on January 15th. Uh, this is the second meanest question I have in here based off of dates. <laughs> it is not the meanest uh, mm-hmm. because there is only five days separating them. One division came out on January 15th, mm. five days separating. I have one other, I think that is closer. Um, I think, I don't know. Maybe that is the meanest one. Nope, I do have one that's meaner. Five days. I have one. That, I have one that's yeah. tighter, but uh, it involves a uh, pop culture. So similar to this, you have no idea. Uh, <laughs> I'm very comfortable not okay. knowing things. I'm so good. In, at in not fact, knowing stuff. it's actually better for you on yeah. these events if you have no idea what they are. So, uh, all right, I am up to Lawrence. Uh, oh, it's a, it's a shame that these are. That it's not the other way around, and I didn't have flip because the next one would have been more. I think oh, it's it my yours? turn to guess. I, I just oh, actually, actually, I just actually thank you, Michael. Him. Oh, good. This, this works out much better. <laughs> All right. So number seven, um, uh, it's uh, Chloe Zhao makes history as the first woman of color to win the best director for Nomadland at the Oscars. 
Or did SpaceX successfully fly, land, and recover a Starship prototype for the first time? Wow. Hmm, that's pretty good. Uh, so I have I have ignored... So I ignored the Oscars for the majority of my life, even though I like performance. Like, I like to perform. I like being on a stage. Uh, I, I am improv at heart. I want to do improv. Um, and so I like performance. But I've ignored the Oscars um, just because for a long time. I was, I was a youthful ignorer for a long time. But then, of course, uh, the Oscars lack of representation um, just persisting as greater and greater calls of like, hey, there are more people in the world than white people. Um, so I have intentionally ignored them the last few years. So I do not know when the Oscars were. Um, versus, uh, we did actually watch SpaceX. So I have two. I have twin four-year-olds at home. Um, they are both interested in space. One of which, in particular, insists the moon belongs to her, and I am not <laughs> trying to change her mind. Uh, so, uh, so we definitely watched the SpaceX launch, um, and that was like medium long ago. Uh, so I think it was probably after the Oscars. I'm saying Oscars first. Uh, and I'm going to agree, and the reason why I'm going to agree is that the those SpaceX is an amazing form of engineering. Like, it's an amazing feat of engineering. Uh, all kinds of people have been making amazing art for 20,000 years, and we should be recognizing the achievements of all kinds of people before before we're going to <laughs> outer space. I think that that should have happened earlier. So, right. earlier... I, that's it. The better the better world is if the Oscars occurred earlier. So I'm going. I agree. All right. Well, it turns out you are both correct that uh, the Oscars were on April 25th, and SpaceX's launch uh, launch of the Starship prototype was on May 5th. Um, and by the way, SpaceX did a ton of stuff this year. I the, when I started looking through my timeline, I was like, oh, what that that SpaceX thing happened this year? What was it? They did so many launches of different things this year. This was a specific prototype um, that they got up that they only did. They had like, uh, they had dozens of launches of things, I think this year, or close to a dozen launches of things this year. They were very, they were. Yeah. To the extent that I think they're, they're the ones who are interfering with our ability to observe the, observe space through our telescopes correctly. So, you know, they oh, could yeah, tone yeah. it down a yeah. little well, bit. Well, because I was like, oh, here's the time that they went to the International Space Station. Oh, here's the time they went to the International Space Station. There were there's been a lot. They've been they've been busy this yeah. year. So all right. Good. I'm glad I'm glad we got to this. So Lawrence, which happened first? Uh did Adele release 30? 30. Or did uh Netflix dominate the Emmys with 31 wins as a network? Okay. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> and those are like ties <laughs> as far as like ideal yeah. worlds. Like there's not, those are okay. There's no one better mm -hmm. than the other. And so I got to go with my impressions. I play Super Smash Brothers Ultimate in a competitive, well, semi-competitive league we weekly. So I, I, I play weekly tournaments of this game. And in order to keep myself sharp, I actually study uh, YouTube tutorials about how to play um, Smash Brothers. And in the past week, the five seconds of advertisements that I'm waiting to skip so that I can actually get to my content 
have had Adele 30 like plastered and then there's five seconds of something that I don't know anything about and then I skip it. And so that's feels very recent to me because I've been studying these Smash Brothers tutorial videos for a long time. So I'm going to, based on that, assume that Adele is more recent and that the Emmys happened first. So I'm going Emmys first, Adele 30 second, final answer. All right. Uh, for, for similar reasons to my last answer, uh, I, I know something about some of the other albums. Mostly Taylor Swift is like a resonant artist in my house, and I just don't know anything about Adele. I just I don't follow her career. I don't know anything about anything. I I systematically avoid YouTube, so I don't know anything about what Lawrence <laughs> is saying as far as like videos. It's a technological world uh, on its head. <laughs> yeah, yeah I do not, right? I do not want to watch videos. I do not watch them. Uh, and uh, the Emmys, I don't know anything about them either. So absent everything else, I trust Lawrence and just agree. Uh, all right. Well, you are correct. I, I will tell you, that was a walk to a justification uh, <laughs> that we got to. Uh, but uh, this one's actually not that close. Net, the, the Emmys uh, were um, on September 19th, and Adele released uh, 30 on November 19th. So a couple months separating those out. Adele has been kind of everywhere for the last uh, month and a half uh, before the album came out and during the album coming out and in there. So uh, who knew I don't know how many, I don't know how many Smash players are buying Adele albums, but they are really pushing it to us. <laughs> I was gonna say that is that is not the overlap I thought uh, was gonna come in there. All right, Michael, we're gonna go back to you, um, and I, I do. We have got we got one more round each there, and I do have a I do have a tiebreaker. I actually have eleven questions and a tiebreaker, but um, I I'm, I'm I may skip one question because uh, I think I don't think we might have a bias in in one of these. Oh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. All right, let's take a look. Uh, so we're up to number nine. Um, the release of Daniel Craig's fifth and final outing as 007 No Time to Die or COP26 concludes with a deal by world leaders to phase down unabated coal power, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's, that's a tough one. So I... I know, I know what, um, I know what the James Bond films are. I haven't watched the most recent one, uh, but I know what it is, and I know that. So I watch a lot of um, like view on demand content is how I fill a lot of my like media consumption time. And so I noticed not too long ago, uh, No Time to Die is getting pushed as like a recently available to purchase on streaming services. That's what I know. Uh, and the COP26, I think I remember seeing some discussion about that. Twitter is the only social media that I'm on anymore, but I think I remember seeing some discussion about that not too long ago. And I assume that, you know, the, the like the movie releases is one of the things that's really been disrupted by the pandemic, but I assume that the James Bond film was out before it came to streaming services, at least by some measure of time. So I think I'm just assuming that based on that refractor, you know, refraction period that puts it before whatever I think I would remember from cop 26. So I am going with the James Bond film first. Uh, and I think the, the better world is the one where the resolution happens first, but I don't think that's our world. <laughs> I think that I actually, I, I really think that the James Bond movie came first. Like this isn't, this isn't in a tie go with optimism. I think the James Bond movie went first. I agree. All right. So now if I was writing trick questions, I might go to my youth and remember that the James Bond movies are classically released uh, around Thanksgiving, 
because um, I can distinctly remember as a small child going out with like my uncles to watch James Bond movies over Thanksgiving. Um, yeah. it's, 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 uh, I, it, I don't know if they all did, but um, but uh, the the final one of the final of the Roger Moore movies, which, by the way, is by far the worst of all of the James Bond movies, um, in spite of its Duran Duran soundtrack, uh, <laughs> View to a Kill. Uh, it's, it's the best soundtrack, as far as I'm concerned, and the worst of all of the movies. Uh, that came out around Thanksgiving. But, in fact, this time around, uh, James Bond came out in October, on October 8th, and Cop concluded on November 13th. So you are both correct on that one. Um, this is one of those ones where I was like, surely the James Bond comes out of Thanksgiving. That's like when I was going back. I, I, cause I had do not watch James Bond movies. That's not there for me. All right. Uh, we are on. I'm shocked at how well we're doing. Yeah. I would have bet. A, I, if, if you'd give me a 50, 50 is the over under I'd have gone. All right. Under. Number 10. Um, so we are, uh, so we're back to Lawrence, right? <laughs> All right. Yeah, uh, yeah, you, you yeah, agreed I on agreed. that. I All agreed. Right. Yeah. Uh, the tenth movie in the Fast and Furious Fast and Furious series F nine premieres, or Black Widow is released both in theaters and on Disney Plus simultaneously. Oh, um, I remember there being some. Uh, uh, legal contention about how Disney plus released this because it affected box office mm-hmm. earnings, which is what uh, is, uh, has to do with some compensation of mm-hmm. the actors. So that Disney plus released it early and then later it was in theaters at the same no, time. They, 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 uh, re- they released them on the same day to both theaters in Disney plus. Yeah. Oh, I, is that right? Oh, we'll see. I don't even know what no. I'm talking about. You, you actually do know what you're talking about. I'll fill you in on the back end, but the, I do want to make it clear. They were released in theaters and on Disney plus on the same day. Okay. Okay. And that enough is a, is a, is a, a competition. Um, so, um, I don't know. I know that it took me a long time to see black widow. So like, Black Widow was probably more recent for me than it was for the rest of the world. So uh, I'm going to go with Fast and Furious came out first. All right. Uh, So uh, I think I remember, I think, I think that I remember that part of that drama about the legal proceedings was that Black Widow was displaced at the top of the earnings chart earlier than most other marvel movies and i think they were displaced by fast nine i i i think that so i disagree with you all right and an interesting uh, so let me tell you a little story let, let me tell you my story before i reel our answers because i believe that now makes us too wrong on both of you uh for the tie <laughs> and it was in fact uh f9 um came out on june 25th and black widow was released on july 9th Okay, these are the, t- so yeah, they, I think they were the other way around. I think your memory is back. And interestingly, so this story, these are literally the two movies I saw in the theaters in the last two years. I went and saw both of them for two reasons. One, I love the stupidity of the Fast 9, uh, the Fast and Furious franchise. I find it like... I go and I cackle laughing. They may not think they're comedies, but I go and I laugh from the beginning to the end of those movies at their absurdity. I find them 
tremendously entertaining. Uh, they are so stupid. Uh, <laughs> I go to them Good. as I go to them as comedies. Uh, they are the funniest thing in the theaters uh, that are out there. And a buddy of mine and I have been going to them for the last few years, pre pandemic and there. So I went there and my son is a big Marvel fan. So I took him uh, to see black widow. So those are the two movies I went to in the theater this summer after we were all vaccinated and we, nobody else was in the theater when we went to see that. Um, but you're right about black widow. So the problem is that some movies were being released on demand and in theaters at the same time. And others were being released first in the theaters and then on demand at a shorter window, but they did not count the Disney plus subscriptions as part of the money in the box office in there. So Scarlett Johansson, whose contract was heavily based on a full theatrical release felt that a whole bunch of people could pay a $30 premium fee and, and, and be able to see black widow, at home and they did not include any of those that, that revenue from that $30 purchase in the box office numbers and so therefore she felt like well wait a minute Disney just took all of those $30 in and it both short, shortened the box office in there and it cut her revenue so uh, there are legal proceedings um, about that so uh, yeah it was an interesting story yeah. all right yeah, if she's taking the risk, she should get. So who who got so that you did. point then? You did. It is now a t- it is now a tie Woo! game, eight to eight. I I love that it has. I love that it is this close. I actually don't care that we're doing well. <laughs> I love that we're tied. So like, if it were two to two, I'd be just as excited. <laughs> All right. Well, well, well. One of you uh, likes the fact that it's a tie, and one of you has already reported that they hate it's a tie. So uh, we will go to uh, we will go to my I have two t- I have two more questions, but I do think one of them. Oh, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what I've got. I'm torn. I'm torn on these things. I think one of them has got a bias, but it's also my meanest question. So here's the thing. I host gaming tournaments at well in non pandemic years uh-huh. for my friends. And one of the taglines that my the people who attend the people who attend my tournaments tell me that the tagline for me as an adjudicator is capricious and <laughs> okay. arbitrary. So you wrote the question. It is the live question. It is the legitimate question. It's a canon question. And you know what? If we've got audio, if if there's a if there's a dis- discriminatory factor between your players, then that's how you All discriminate, right. and that's fine. So right, let's go. I want ties, but I endorse right, the process. We will do the final question, and because it is a Taylor Swift, the worldwide uh, quiz, we will finish with this question. And I believe, Michael, you are up first on this one, correct? All right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he's the odd, All he's right. the we, odd one. Yeah, we need he's that. the odd questions. That. Um, I should actually make you both write down which one you think it is and show me, but I don't know that we have whiteboards or anything like that. So, 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 Or maybe just an honor system if you want to have... You could try... Yeah, you I can trust, trust us. You really can. Yeah, I will lie, so I'm going to write it down. Uh, <laughs> and, and you can and take the words at his word. I don't, yeah. I, I don't trust that you guys have been Googling the whole time. I hear clickety-clack on those keys every couple of minutes. <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> All right, final question. The positive COVID-19 test that was sequenced to reveal the new Omicron variant was found in visitors returning to South Africa from Botswana. So I'll say that again. The positive COVID-19 test that was sequenced to reveal the new Omicron variant. When was that positive test taken? Like when was the first, when was that test swab taken? Or the release of Taylor Swift's Red? 
Taylor, the red Taylor Swift's version. So is it Omicron <sighs> or red? When was it yeah. released? When was Taylor's yeah, the, version the, released? The, the, the right. red Taylor's version was released or yeah. the Sw- uh, So I am. You know one of them. I am intimately familiar. I'm intimately familiar with Red Taylor's version because we are a Taylor Stan household. Swifties, if you, uh, Swifties, as, if you will, <laughs> as as you wish. Yeah, that's we're here for it. Uh, and so definitely, so I know that that's relatively recent, not yesterday, but pretty recent. Uh, and similar for the Omicron, uh, the Omicron, especially the test date, right? So I'm working back in my head of if uh, if it was publicized about not quite a month ago, maybe maybe I'm saying three weeks ago and I'm working backwards. And that's probably another week that people knew before it got out. And then the time to actually sequence South Africa has amazing best in the world, um, epidemic research institutes. And so they are fast, but like the, the logistics of getting the test and getting it to the lab are real. So I'm going to give it another two weeks. So is Taylor red more than a month and a half old? Uh, and gosh, uh, I, I think that it is, I think that Taylor red is older than that, but I also, this feels like one where like Omicron is super recent. And so you're trying to get me, uh, you're trying to get me, <laughs> but red is pretty old. That's pretty old. So I'm going to say Taylor red first. Uh, I worked in a laboratory, and I know science is slow, so I'm going to say Omicron is first. All right. And the Swifty is undermined by his own knowledge of Taylor Swift. And this is the meanest question I have. So the Omicron variant was first detected by test as a positive COVID-19 test on November 11th on travelers traveling from Botswana back into South Africa. Yeah, I feel yeah. good about my estimate. Working and Taylor Swift's Red was released right. on November 12th. So Omicron was first, which gives Michael Ralph the victory in our. Oh, wait, what? Oh, wait. sorry. Michael Ralph. I said yeah, backwards. No, sorry. I'm sorry, Lawrence. Lawrence. My, Lawrence is the right. Correct. Lawrence Woodrow is correct. I said it wrong. When Lawrence wins, we have the better world. I want that. <laughs> yeah. I want to lose. Yeah. Lawrence. yeah. Lawrence. Lawrence absolutely <laughs> with the win. All right. Hopefully this was a, this was a, I had a ball doing this. I hope you guys had some fun uh, with a, with a, Walk down memory lane for for 2021. This is absolutely the most fun I've had on a video <laughs> chat since the pandemic started. <laughs> All right. Well, let me uh, let me just say, uh, you know, I would love your feedback. Uh, you can DM uh, me or tweet at me at Life of the School or at Mr. Ma- Matthew Tweets. Um, love to see your feedback. Love to hear your feedback. Um, you could also contact the two pint PLC folks, two pint PLC.com. So, uh, yeah, thank you for joining me. Let me give my show notes. Uh, please subscribe to life of the school on your podcast player of choice. Hey, subscribe to two pint PLC on your podcast player of choice. Uh, if you want, you can get uh, show notes at life of the school.org. You can also go to patreon.com slash lots, patreon.com slash lots. Uh, I release early releases of my episodes to my Patreons a couple days. I also put show notes there. Music on this and every episode is by Jake Jenkins and X magicians. And as I mentioned, mentioned before you can follow me on twitter at life of the school or at mr matthew tweets so thanks for joining me and i will talk to everybody in 2022